Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. You know, I believe for all of us, you know, no matter our circumstance or how long they've been going on for, I don't believe God wants us to give up or tap out or just reside ourselves to the situation or the circumstances. He wants us to, to, to rely on him and stay true to the vision because ultimately it will happen. It will come to pass. And so uh, it's about, you know, God, sometimes there is delay sometimes in our miracle or our breakthrough because he's trying to form something on the inside, but he doesn't want us to let go of what we've seen in our mind. And that lady, she saw it and she held on to it. And I think flipping awesome, 12 years and she found healing. You know, on Monday night uh, with a student church, I use the example of vision that, you know, when you're studying for your degree, which many of them are in the middle of, you know, it helps when you know what you want to do after your degree. You know, when you've got a vision for that job or that kind of, that career that you want to be involved in, you know, if you want to become a doctor, you do a medical degree. But that vision of becoming a doctor helps you pick up the books, pick up the texts, actually get to the library, open them up, start studying, doing the hard work. Vision is like, it, it gives you a greater reason why you go through situations. And it's the same, um, you know, for ourselves, you know, it's not like we have a vision to get a degree, but we might have a vision for what that degree will facilitate or enable us to step into afterwards. We don't really have, you don't, you wouldn't say you have a vision to have lots of money. It's what you can do with money that is a vision that gets exciting. You don't have to say you have a vision to be married like any Tom, Dick and Harry will do. Just come on, let's get married like that, that'll be it. No, you want to get married to the person of your dreams. And that's, that's what vision is. It's, uh, it, it's alluring, it's exciting, it's compelling, and it moves us along our purpose and our destiny. It's a glimpse of the future that God has purposed. You know, when, even when I think about our journey as, a, you know, as, as business owners with, with a children's nursery, I remember like it started off with just a small vision of just like one room <laughs> and uh, 20 kids, that was all it was. And then I remember Dave kind of saying, hey, have you ever thought about going to a second room? And then it was a third room. I think we skipped two, actually went straight to three. And then it was four. And then it was moving and relocating to another home. And that, so vision, it's not like you see the end goal. You kind of have steps along the journey. It's a bit like the horizon. You know, you, you kind of journey towards it. But then as you get to kind of like the summit, you realize, oh, gosh, there's even more horizon. It doesn't end. And that's the beauty of vision. It's not an end point. It just keeps us moving along our purpose, moving us along the destiny. So I encourage us all to to dream and to have a vision, to access part of your brain that no one else can do for you. And uh, Joel 2 verse 28 says, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. It's amazing. You think like we can dream about something that's not in our current reality. We can start to, to imagine something in the future and when we can start to bring that into our present. I wonder this morning, do you have a vision? Can you see it? You know, can you see it right now in your mind's eye? Some part of your life, or maybe it's something that overarches your life. But you know what, if there's nothing that comes to mind, I want to encourage you because you do have a vision, probably a few visions in fact. One of them is the vision of Global Church. You know, being a part, just the very fact that you've turned up this morning is almost like your vote to say, I am for the vision of Global Church. Like I'm here. <laughs> like you might think, really? I just came to church. And I'll say, no, no, you came to church, but maybe this morning you might even journey from just coming to church 
to be in the church, like becoming the church. Like when you sit here, you think, no, I am the church. Like I don't just come to this thing called Global on a Sunday morning. Like I am. And maybe this morning you might make that transition. That's powerful because when you become the church, it's a bit like you own it. Like it's, it's like family. You know, when I married Anna, I became part of her family and she came part of my family. You know, we had in-laws. Before that, they were just like, you know, a nice couple. But now they're in-laws. There's something a bit more serious and defined. I'm going to, you know, relate to them differently. You know, we're going to hold each other to account. You know, it's not like if I mistreat Anna, her, her dad's not going to have something to say about it. You know, so in the same way, when we, when we start owning the church, we want the best for the church. We want to see it grow. We want to see it flourish. We want to see it improve, develop. Like we're, we're invested in it. And so that is a vision that you're a part of. You know what? You have a vision of, of where you work. You might think, oh yeah, but it's Tesco's or some big organization. They have a vision. And right now you can be a part of that and get behind that vision in your workplace. Because this is what's so powerful. It doesn't matter if the person's a, a Christian or not a Christian. We can still get behind that vision. You know, God will look at how you build another man's vision or another woman's vision. He looks at how faithful and diligent you are in building someone else's house, so to speak. There's a great passage. You can write this down. It's not going to come on the screen, but 1 Chronicles 17, 1 to 13. And it's about King David and uh, the prophet Nathan. And, and he had a, David woke up in the middle of the night thinking, oh man, look at me. I'm living in a nice palace, but God's house is in a tent. Surely I should build him a house, a temple. And Nathan later on comes and visits him saying, no, God, God wants to relay a few things to you. And he says, God wants to build your house. He wants to build your house. God Almighty wanting to build David's house. Now he's not referring to the palace. It was already built. <laughs> but what he's referring to is like, he wants to build your reputation. He wants to build your, your, your business. He wants to build your relationships. And it's the same for us. You know, when we start to build the church, I remember Dave saying this years ago, you know, when you start to build this vision and build this house, God will start to build your house and your, your vision. And I don't believe it's like an either or thing, like it's either the church's vision or the workplace vision or our personal vision. Like they all interweave and interwine themselves. You know, the resources that we, we create in our jobs is there to, as a purpose to fulfill the mission. You know, in terms of you're thinking, what, the mission? Yeah, in terms of reaching the world with the good news. Like God's got a purpose for all the, the money that you're earning. And it's not just to be spent on nice things. Um, you know, if we get good at building other people's visions and bringing them into reality, guess what? God's probably going to give you a bigger vision or a bigger dream because he sees that you've been faithful in someone else's so you can be faithful and trusted in, in your own. And it's so, it's so, for me, that gets so exciting because I'm like, I want to get good at building the church. And, and it's partly selfish, I won't deny, because I think if I get good at this, I'll get good in my own life. And it's worked for me so well over the years because I think this is a great training ground. The church is one of the best environments to take a step of faith because there's a culture in place which we try and say, you're free to fail. You're free to take those risks. And we might laugh at you for a little bit just to help you get robust, but <laughs> we'll push you back up on your feet and you can get going again. And, uh, but it's great. And if we get this, honestly, we become unstoppable. Like just think for a moment, if, if we can bring a future reality into the present, a better reality into the present, that's powerful. People follow a person who can bring good things about, who can, and who can bring success and can bring breakthrough. He can start to open up doors 
uh, for other people. You know, it's not just about us. So Nehemiah, he received this distressing news that Jerusalem lied in ruins. It was destroyed. It was devastated. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a disgrace in the sense that the glory of God was at stake here. You know, it wasn't just about a city. It wasn't any old city. No, it, this was God's chosen people, the people that God wanted to elevate, lift up, to prosper so that they would be noticed from all the other, you know, foreign nations in the world to say, flipping heck, look how this small country is elevated. It must be their God. Their God must be the one true God. The whole purpose of Israel, Israel being blessed was to draw people to God. It's the same for church. You know, our, our kind of, when we talk about being blessed or good things and prospering in life, it's that we can be a light to the city. You know, we're not called to be hidden away or to be kind of like just really, you know, pious and, and just kind of, you know, it's not about me. No, there is something where God wants us to be out there and visible. You know, right now in church, we're, we're, we're exploring places in the city center, you know, to have as an office or a church venue where we can not just kind of rent, but maybe own and plaster global church on the windows. Because there's too many shops that are empty and there's some advertising space that needs to be utilized. It's like, why not the church? Why not? We're starting to dream about how we can expand our presence in different parts of the city, planting more dinner parties, growing them strategically to have more churches around the city. God wants to lift us up, but we've got to be on the same page as God and thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to be on, I'm going to want to lift up as well. You know, dwell in the land and do good in Psalm 37 is great. You know, God calls us to be good news to the city of York and to the nation of Britain, just to, to dwell in the land and do good. So that city benefits from how we're prospering. But there's something even greater than just the city benefiting from what we can pass on and what we can do. It's when actually the city or the nation enters into God's kingdom. When they don't just become the recipients of God's blessing through us, but they actually get blessed themselves and they experience their creator. They experience the source, the provision of the blessing. They experience their true heavenly father. Like, church is awesome because, you know, the medical, you know, healthcare, you know, can't do this. The government can't provide this. Education can't deliver what we can deliver. We can deliver people into a complete holistic program of being made whole. We call it salvation, salvaging what's broken and restoring it to its original purpose so that it can operate how it was intended to. And how did God intend us to operate? strong, successful, mentally sound, mentally wealthy, so that we can be a resource to others, to our children, to our neighbors, to the people of influence. We can give them wisdom, not just for humans, but from heaven above, for situations. Our prosperity has a purpose. So let's not just lose sight of that. Let me rattle through the points that we went through last week. A true vision from God is by definition unselfish. Its purpose is to bring about God's kingdom on earth and turn people to him. A vision from God is unselfish. You know, even having a vision of having a great marriage is not just about you and your partner. It's an opportunity to be a strength for other couples, for other people, other families, being able to share that mental wealth. Having large finances or resources available is not just for you. <laughs> it's about unlocking situations it's about having the power to do things, you know, building a hospital. I went into the hospital uh, last week for my dad and, and I was just blown away at this, this 
this huge building and, and the level of care that we get from the NHS is phenomenal. The fact that we don't have to pay for it. Dave and I were chatting to a, a local businessman in, in the area and he's you know, come from another part of the world, I think it's Turkey, and, and he is absolutely blown away at what Britain provides for the people and for the nation. And when I look at that hospital, I'm thinking, this is awesome. My mind starts going thinking, I'd love to build a hospital. I don't know how, but, this, but the amount of good that one building does to the city of York it's unquantifiable, the number of lives that it saves, the amount of hope that it gives people. I love buildings. I hope you can tell that. But <laughs> because I look at what, what's beyond the building, beyond the bricks and mortar is, is something significant. And that's what it was about Jerusalem. It was a significant city. It was significant in the world stage. You know, a vision from God will stretch us and take us out of our comfort zones is point number two. When we plant churches, our comfort is going to be disrupted. You know, whether it's, you know, just submitting to a leader, like when they say we're going this way and you're thinking, no, but I think it should be that way. Or whether it's serving on a team and there's a way that we do things that you're scratching your head thinking, but why are we doing it that way? You, you know, whether it's inviting someone to church for the first time, sharing your, your faith, sharing your story, you know, how, how you, why have you come to church? Why do you believe in Jesus? Or defending your faith. It's going to take you out of your comfort zone. I mean, I love the idea of, of speaking, honestly. You know, when I'm not speaking, I'm thinking, oh, I'd love to speak. And then honestly, when I have to start preparing this, <laughs> and then the moments before getting up, I'm thinking, oh man, <laughs> why am I doing this? <laughs> but I need it. I need to be taken out of my comfort zone. And you need it too. <laughs> not just my preaching. <laughs> but point number three was a vision to build God's kingdom will experience opposition. Opposition is proof that in God's kingdom, we're doing something right. Why? Because the enemy, the devil, is totally against Christians, totally against people who put God first in their life. You know, the number of obstacles that we hit in the business world, in the church world, I'm like, this is unreal. Like most organizations, when I hear around, they don't have the same level of obstacles. They, of course, everyone has, you know, things that come against them. But sometimes like this is, because you know, there's, a, super, there's a, a supernatural power behind some of the attacks that go on to try and demoralize us. And when we looked at Nehemiah, he had people absolutely trying to discourage him, trying to mock him, trying to say, what are you doing? It's ridiculous. It even got to the point where people internally were starting to send reports to try and undermine the work that Nehemiah was doing. There's gonna be obstacles. There's gonna be an opposition against what we're doing when we're, work, when we're doing, fulfilling a vision for God. A vision requires us, point number four, to have a plan or to work strategically. I love this. I think it's where we got to last week. You know, we've been gifted with the ability to solve problems. We've been gifted. Now, I know none of us actually want problems in life. We all want that easy life. I'm the same. <laughs> but then I keep coming to the place thinking, I've just got to embrace problems. Why? Because there is a solution. And, I'm, and, and I've, I've been gifted. I've been born. I've been made to find the solution to the problems that I'm facing. I'm more and more getting confidence that God has resourced me. Might maybe not be directly in me, but it might be in the connections that I know or someone or someone else that can help me. But when we experience problems, we have the ability to solve them. We can literally work through the problems in our life. You know, um, sometimes when we have a problem financially, worry starts to attack our mind. Or we have a problem in our marriage or we have a problem in raising our kids and worry starts to just start nagging and poking. But here's the thing, when you put a plan in place, it destroys worry. It literally destroys it. Say you're going through some financial problems now. 
when you put a plan in place, it starts to destroy the worry because you've got a plan that will take you out of your problems. You might need to ask around for some wisdom in how to do that. But it's the same in all parts of our life. Planning is, it, it's not hip, it's not cool. <laughs> it really isn't. And there's plenty of times where I've, I've, myself, I've got to get off the treadmill of life just to consider for a moment, what is the plan? What is the plan here? Do you know what? Your trajectory is more important than your immediate outcomes that you're experiencing today. Your trajectory is more important. Because if you're, you know, you might be in financial difficulty right now, but if you're able to save more than you're spending and you're starting to eat away into the debt that's dragging you down, the trajectory will mean that you will eventually escape the pain of being in that financial pressure cooker. You know, you might go to the gym and think like, I'm going to work out and I'm going to get into shape in one session. <laughs> I'm going to smash it. 10 hours. I'm going to be buff. I'm going to look like some young people that I can't think of in our church. Um, not me. <laughs> and I'm going to work out. I'm going to boss it. But you know what? That one session of intensity, you probably just break your body more than likely. But what's more powerful is actually went to the gym just 20 minutes every day. That consistency is going to be more beneficial to you than your intensity it's the same in life. You know, when we have a plan, you're starting able to build in a consistent rhythm of saving rather than spending, of, of spending time with, with, with the kids in a way that's going to strengthen their confidence rather than just getting angry when it keeps going wrong. Being proactive rather than being reactive. That's what plans do. They help us be on the front foot, not on the defensive foot. So let me get into the, the scriptures. The fifth point was Nehemiah shared the vision at the right time with the right people. It said in chapter 2, verse 12, I set out during the night with a few others. I'd not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. The officials did not know where I had gone, or, and this is verse 16, just skipping ahead a bit. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Sharing the vision at the right time with the right people. You know, Nehemiah, he surveyed the city. He didn't rush. I mean, he got permission straight away from the king because he needed to. He needed to get released from his job. But then he, he started to formulate the plan. He started to investigate the level of damage. He started to go around, gather information. I think sometimes in life, you know, there's probably some of us who, as soon as we get a thought, we're very quick to share it to anyone and everyone who will listen and then sometimes people just kind of throw back and question it or kind of say, are you really, are you sure about that? And before you know it, that, that thought, that maybe like vision, before it's even been birthed, it's been kind of snuffed out by what other people have said. You know, we've got to be thoughtful about, you know, who are we going to share it with? But then I think the other side of the equation or, you know, maybe the majority of, I would say, Britain or certainly I'd fall into this camp, you know, we're, we're nervous about sharing the vision or what's on our heart for fear of sounding silly or not wanting to look like a failure if it never happens. It's a bit like, oh, I'll just keep that in. Because here's the thing with vision, it doesn't fit. <laughs> it doesn't like, it's not like a natural kind of, sometimes it's a bit of a natural, but it doesn't fit. You know, Nehemiah, when he's looking at it, it's like, this doesn't fit my current situation. And your vision isn't gonna fit into your current world. It's bigger by nature. And so when you start to present that, it's a bit like we get a bit worried about being proud or the ego rearing its head, but there's a right time and there's a right place to share it with people. It goes on to say in Nehemiah, then I said to them, he brought the people, the right people together. You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. 
and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. A vision requires others, not just yourself. It's a team sport. It's a team game. It's not just you on your own. You know, when I've thought even about the nursery, and, and as much as there's courses, people who work uh, for us and with us, but even Dave and Shell, who, you know, even as a midwife and, and everything that Dave does, you know, childcare is not exactly their speciality, but I've needed Dave and Shell to help bring that vision into reality. Like I've needed to share it and talk, talk it through things with them. And, 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 you know, I wouldn't have grown it probably if it wasn't for Dave thinking, yeah, one room's really good. It's, it's sound. Probably disappeared because we wouldn't have had any money to build a building. But we need other people. We can't do significance on our own. Like we can't. And there's a pride in all of us that says, well, I don't want to ask for help. It's just pride. But we need other people's help. We need to humble that kind of thing and say, you know what? If, if, if significance is going to come about, I'm going to need other people on board with what we're doing. A lone ranger is not God's model for church. So I guess the question now is, you know, how well do you relate to other people at work, in church, in your dinner party? How well do you work alongside them? How gracious or forgiving are you when someone makes a mistake? Are you quick to point it out? How, how quick are you to admit your own fault when you mess up? Because these are all people skills that help us build team, help us work together effectively. It's easy me saying we've got to build a team when we're starting a vision, but what does that mean? It means being good with people. And so we can all work on that. We can all develop. When you start, when I watch people interact, and I'm, I'm trying to observe, you know, when I enjoy someone's presence, I think, what did they do that, that made this experience enjoyable? This meeting, this kind of, yeah, I want to follow them. What is it about that that I, I want to try and emulate? And it's important, these things. This isn't just about like, life coaching or something. This is about achieving the vision, you know, being, because we've got to grow um, to achieve the vision. People will sometimes say to you, you know, you can't do that. Like, that's too big. And in one sense, they're right. Because who you are today is not going to be sufficient for what you need tomorrow. <laughs> what the vision will require of you. We've got to grow and develop into that. It's really a journey of us as much as achieving any sort of outcome. It then goes on to say, but when Sanballat the Hor Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. I mean, I hate that. There's something about, you know, when there's uh, something coming against you and it's of substance. But when it's ridicule and mocking, like I don't know about you, when, when I get, you know, when there's complaints at the nursery, you know, when, it's, when, there's a, a, when there's something that's kind of got some substance or truth, I'm thinking, yep, you know, we've got to respond to it, deal with it. When it's, of, it's almost in that mocking tone or that ridiculing, I just want to go low. <laughs> I don't know if you're like me, but I, I, like, you want to bring it down? Oh, I can go lower. Oh, yeah. Wait, I've been thinking. I've been cooking. Welcome, come into my world. And we're like that because it's like often, you know, we experience and it's like, but, but Nehemiah, there's something of substance about the guy because he doesn't lower the tone. He just says, uh, well, they asked, what is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants and uh, his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, 
you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. He's not ridiculing back or mocking back. And I hate to say it, I, I, you know, if someone does that to me, I just want to, you know, blast them out of, the, out of the water. But there's something about protecting the vision. And later on, you know, they, they tried to uh, devise a plot or a scheme to get Nehemiah to hide away inside the temple, which would have totally reduced his name and his reputation because he would have gone against God's uh, laws of the day of like not being one of the priests who could enter into the, the Holy of Holies. So his reputation was, was there, but um, I guess this is it, point seven. A vision from God we know will ultimately succeed. The God of heaven will give us success. I guess if you knew that you could not fail, that you had unlimited resources, what would you do with your life? What would you do? What would you put your time, your effort, your energy, your resources into? Just picture it for a moment. Just imagine right now you're a multimillionaire and you don't have a job. <laughs> what would you do? And I don't mean like, you know, buy a holiday home, go on a cruise around the world with all your family, mums and grands and aunts and uncles. What would you do for the next decade of your life in that place? What would you want to put your time and energy into? What's on your heart? Habakkuk 2 verse 2 in the message translation says this. It's all about writing down the vision. And then God answered, write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. It doesn't lie. If it seems slow and coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. You know, we're called to, to write down the vision. Make it plain for, for you to see and potentially others to see. Write it down. You know, it's reassuring for me that God will cause his vision to succeed. It's not just down to me and my strength. It's like, no, God will bring it to completion. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will bring it to complete. So if God started something, he will complete it. When I've gone through some of the tough times in the nursery where we had a fire at our old place and it's like, really, this is... This looks like game over. And the questions in my mind were, is this the end? And I tried to, you know, comfort myself thinking, well, I've learned a lot. And all we need to do is sell the house that we live in, rent, get rid of the car. And uh, I think we had two kids at the time. But you know what? They're safe. They're well. All good. But you know, there's the other thought that says, but God's got me this that far. Surely he's going to not just let it end right now. And, and there's the same for each and every one of us. We can be confident that what God has started, he will see to completion. The vision from God will not just die if, if we stay true to it, if we can just hold on, cling. Like when, sorry, when we sang that song, just stand. We stand with our arms high and heart abandoned. Why? Because we don't have all the energy and resources, but our God does. There's something powerful. Point number eight, and I think it's my last one for today, is Nehemiah's vision was completely unrealistic. And that's it. A vision from God seems impossible like no chance. And on Monday night, the penny dropped for me because I was like, this is one man, one solitary man <laughs> looking at rebuilding a city, a capital city, rebuilding the walls, the temple, the homes, the, the, the commerce, the, the, the infrastructure, rebuilding a whole city, one man. And it wasn't just one man who was like resourced. No, he was a slave. 
He was a slave to a king. He was a cupbearer. He didn't even have a title of leadership. It wasn't like he had people working for him, you know, the assistant cupbearer, I don't think. He would have been, by, like, you know, that was his, that was just his role. He had no resources, no people, you know, geared up, ready to follow him on the movement to rebuild it. He just had a vision from God. Totally impossible, totally unrealistic. But here's the thing, he was in a place of influence. And I wonder whether most of us would think, well, actually, if I was a slave to someone, that's not a place of influence. But he did. He saw it as a place of influence. I mean, it's, it's crackers that for, you know, most of us, we chose our job. I know you wouldn't believe it on Monday morning when you get up, you think, oh, this again. But we chose it. Like, we're not a slave to the job. <laughs> no one forced us with a gun to the head saying, you shall work here. Or at least I hope they didn't. <laughs> you know, but, but we get to choose our jobs. I don't think we realize the level of influence that we carry because it's not down to a title or a position. It's down to where we are and who we've got beside us. Nehemiah had God because God, God was with him. That influence was vast. Your influence is great. It's vast, wherever you are. You might think, yeah, but I'm just a lowly this, that, and the other. No, no, but you can influence. You can do so much. Don't underestimate the impact that you can have, because it might start at one level, but before you know it, it creeps up and up and up and up and up. And before you know it, your level of influence has grown beyond your wildest imagination. Why? Because you grasp just a little vision of thinking, God wants me to work as if working unto him. So I'm going to work with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my energy, with all my might. I'm going to come. I'm going to try and fulfill the vision at my workplace. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to be bringing a great attitude to dinner parties. I'm going to do what I can to make this a success. Why? Because I'm doing it for God Almighty. And when, when God sees us operating with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, he thinks, I want to lift this person up. Nehemiah got lifted right out from having a job to I think he became the governor, overseeing the whole area looking after renovation of a whole city. I mean, that's cool. There were tough times at the beginning where the, the, the uh, opposition was so severe. It was, it was intense to the point where they were, they were building the walls and they, were, they had, they had a tra uh, <laughs> you know, their tools in one hand and a sword in the other. They had the, the guards stationed 24-7 to protect the people because the people were getting nervous. It's one thing as a leader when you get nervous, when your people get nervous, You've got to instill confidence. And Nehemiah did that. He did that well. I just want to read this, this quote from Theodore Roosevelt. It said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. We're called to get in the arena. We're called to embrace the vision, the vision of church. Embrace it. 
go for it, run with it. Experience defeat when you start running with it. We plant churches knowing that not everyone will succeed. That's the nature of the game, but we know that we'll ultimately succeed. You're part of something significant. You know, you're part of this awesome movement of church. You know, if you don't have faith in yourself at this time, have faith in God's word that we're called to go into all the world and make disciples, to plant churches, to be a part of global. You know, do you think your human nature is going to allow you to expand yourself and others to successfully plant churches? No. Do you think your present emotions in your mind are going to allow you to enter into the bigger vision for the future? The answer is no. Do you think the devil wants you to grow in stature, in wisdom, in prosperity to make the vision a reality? No. (laughs) But God's with us. God is with us. And with him, we can do the impossible. You know, Nehemiah and the Israelites finished building the walls in 52 days. It's amazing. In chapter 3, it just talks about how every single family, unit, leader, kind of said they built this section they built this section they built this section just goes on and on and on and the combined force of having one vision that other people bought into brought about a total transformation in 52 days 52 days I didn't realize how short it was you know we come to church to get re-energized because we need strength to fight what's on the outside but also what's on the inside of us we can't give up meeting together because we get reminded of our purpose, reminded of, of, of why we're here, what we were born to do. Every week I have a prayer walk with Dave and, you know, we talk, we share, we, we go through some of the, the challenges, cry a little bit, we laugh quite a lot as well. <laughs> and uh, it's great because we, we also pray, by the way, at the end, if we can squeeze it in. <laughs> but, you know, in that, in that hour, we, we start off in one kind of mental state. By the end of it, we're totally renewed, we're transformed, we're stronger, we're kind of, we're closer to the vision and the purpose, and we think, this is it, we've got it, we've got clarity again, and we go out again and again and again. And it's not always that the circumstances in that hour change, but we keep going, and we know that that's the power of church. It's why we want so many people involved and invited in, because this is such a healthy place to be. Such a healthy place to be. It's a place where we can realize our dreams, but also the dream. Just want to finish on the last thing. I said it earlier, but you know, when you build God's house, he will build yours. Give yourself, maybe take that step from coming to church to becoming the church. Be the church. Own the church. Invest in the church. Be passionate about making sure this thing grows and develops. Get more people into your dinner party. Bring that great atmosphere. Because as you start to do that, God will see that. God watches every moment of our lives and he's looking for opportunity to reward us. He's looking for, for blessings to keep pouring on us. And when we do things God's word, God's way, it's phenomenal. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 